What's up, everybody? Welcome to Lacrosse Now. That is Travis Eldridge. I am Tom Eschen. Appreciate you joining us as we've got NCAA tournament games coming up this weekend. We will have you ready for the tournament for the men and the women. Travis, it's the best time of the year. We can't wait to start digging into this bracket. Yeah, they call it May Madness for a reason, and uh, we've got some terrific matchups just to kick things off here this weekend. Uh, also on this show, some two two terrific guests that'll be playing this weekend. You got Penn's BJ Farrar and Hannah Lubecker from Maryland. You had a chance to talk to both of them earlier this week, so can't wait to hear those conversations. So the Tawarton finalists were unveiled today. We'll begin there. We'll get into the bracket in just a little bit. But we should start with the Tawarton finalists. That's the news of the day. We'll start with the men. Chris Gray, Sam Hanley, Brendan Nickturn, Connor Schellenberger, and Logan Wisnowskis are the five Tawarton finalists. Your initial reaction here, Travis? So I, I looked at it. When I initially saw it, I said, okay, it seems fair. However, you, when we started going back and forth, brought up a nice point in the question is uh, for Yale, where possibly could Matt Brandau be? Because you look at two of the names on this list, Chris Gray and Brendan Nickturn, and while both had terrific seasons, neither one of their teams are still playing here uh, in, a, in a push for championship weekend, whereas Matt Brandau is on a seeded team that very well could make a run to championship weekend. So I, I do, if there's anybody that was left off, it's Brandau. And you look at the numbers, and it seems as though the Tawarton Foundation went with uh, Nick Turn over Brandau because Nick Turn finished with 6.31 points per game. He led the country. Brandau, 6.07. So I, I, you do the math, point two something, maybe less than. Uh, and that was apparently possibly the difference between who was a finalist and who was not. I mean, I'll give you Connor Schellenberger, too. He had a nice season for Virginia. He's a great player. But Schellenberger was 11th in the NCAA in points per game this year, too, Travis. And he plays for Virginia, the only ACC team to be represented in the tournament. Brenda played in the Ivy League, which everybody says was extremely difficult this year, extremely competitive. They've got six teams in. So you even look at that com competition. You don't even have to look at what's around them on their offense to me. And I just look and I think Brenda needs to be in there. I, I'm sorry. Like, I obviously, I have said that I think that he should be a Tawarton finalist all season long. People were talking about him as one. He needs to be in there, and I think there are guys that you can take out. A lot of times say, oh, how do you take somebody out? There are guys you can take out of that. They had nice seasons. Don't want to, um, you know, put them down for that. But Nick or Brenda had a better season than, than some of these guys that are finalists. Yeah, I mean, he was second in the nation in points per game. His team is seated. And, like, let's remember, this is a postseason award. And you know what this feels like with Brandau and the possibility of getting Yale to championship weekend? Because I look at that road, and we're going to talk about the bracket. I, I really do think Yale has a really good shot to be back playing on championship weekend for, at this point, their third consecutive time where they're eligible. But you, you look at that, and it feels like uh, it was Pat Spencer I think it was 2016 when he led Loyola as a freshman all the way to championship weekend. And because he was a freshman, despite having a terrific year, he wasn't a Tawarton finalist. But it felt as though, like, he would have been in that conversation if he would have been a finalist. He would have been in conversation to win the award. And it feels like we could be in a similar situation at the end. If Yale goes to the Final Four and Brandau's the reason, everyone's going to go, why on earth was he not a finalist? Because if Yale wins this thing, he probably should be winning the award. 
Yeah, and you wonder, too, you know, I looked at some of the defenses as well and think, oh, maybe they, they really stacked up. They thought ACC defenses were tougher than Ivy League. That's not the case either. I mean, Notre Dame was the 11th best defense in the country this year. Duke was 25th. Carolina 52, Syracuse 66, Ivy League, Penn was 24th, Brown 27, Harvard 38, Princeton 40, Cornell 41, Yale 54. That to me is kind of a wash. You know, I, yeah. I, I know that you have Notre Dame as that 11, but to me, it doesn't really matter. It, that, that is, it's not that much. Dif that's not much different than the other two that the other league. So, yeah, I think it's a shame that Brenda is not going to be in there and that should even light a bigger fire underneath this Yale team as they try to get back to championship weekend after all these Ivy League teams didn't have an opportunity to do so a year ago. All right. On the women's side of things, I think that's also pretty interesting and in how it could all shake out. And I, I look at, of course, Aurora accordingly with Maryland, you know, the number two team in the nation, Ali Mastriani, Charlotte North, Jamie Ortega, Megan Tyrell. Who's your front runner here, Travis? That's a really hard question. Uh, with what we, we've seen, it feels as though if North Carolina continues this, it's going to be Jamie Ortega because of what we've seen from the Torton Foundation and the award in the past is that it's almost like in a situation like this, it would almost be Jamie Ortega's because of the career that she's had on top of what North Carolina has done this year. So with that, I think I give the edge to her. But if Maryland makes championship weekend, or I guess if they make the championship and they play North Carolina, it's going to be really hard to argue against Aurora accordingly with how terrific she's been and the numbers that she's put up this year. So I think if I would have to put two front runners, it's them. Charlotte North obviously is going to get uh, a bit of a boost because she is the reigning to wartime uh, award winner. So if BC's back in that championship game, depending on how her tournament shakes out, she could find herself right back in the mix. But, like, it's so hard with Charlotte because to compare what she did to last year when she won it, like, she did. She was so incredible last year. And while she has been amazing this season, like, it hasn't been quite the same transcendent year. Yeah, she hasn't been as good, unfortunately, because the bar was extremely, really high. I mean, it was up there that she said it. She said it too for herself. Yeah, yeah, right. And she was awarded for that, too. But there's other players this year on teams that look like they're going to be there at the end, like you said with Maryland. I mean, Aurora, accordingly, the highest scoring player out of all the ones on this list, 6.17 points per game. And I agree with you. I think it's accordingly or Ortega I think those are the two teams we could see at the end of this thing so that is really where things are going Ortega she's been so great for so long so consistent yeah it kind of has that career achievement type feel but she's having a really great year this year too I don't want to take that away from her yeah, um, at the 100%. end of the day and, and Megan Tyrell with some injuries that Syracuse has had she has stepped up accordingly there I don't want to throw her out Ali Mastriani yeah, she does a lot of different things for North Carolina in a lot of different ways, and she deserves to be there as one of the best players in the country. I don't think of this list that she's going to be able to really stick out that much. You know, you see what she does in the draw. She scores, but she's not nearly the best scorer, the best draw taker on this list. So I can't really say that she is going to be the front runner here. I think it's going to be between Cordingly and Ortega, and whoever wins the championship is probably the one who's going to come out on top there. Yeah, I, I think if Charlotte North wins it again if BC wins the title again. That's the that's the way Charlotte North wins it. Otherwise, I think you're right. Do you think even if Carolina, and the way the bracket, let me think, they got to revisit my bracket here really quick. It, yeah, I, no, you look at it, Carolina wouldn't play BC until the championship game or, or, or Maryland. Or Maryland. BC and Maryland have the two, three seats. So, like, Carolina's chances of making the championship, like, their biggest – 
their biggest roadblock will either be Cuse or Northwestern, most likely, because we think one right. of the two of them is going to come out of there. And so I, I, I really do think, especially if it's BC knocking off North Carolina again, I don't know. First of all, if that happens, there's no way Charlotte North doesn't go off. And if that happens, I don't know how you don't give it to her again. Yeah, I think that would make for an interesting conversation, though, at the end um, of things. A lot of hypotheticals there. We'll, we'll figure that out as they come. I thought Emily Sterling maybe deserved it uh, as well. She's been great for Maryland and a really good conference in the Big Ten. And there's a track record there with Maryland goalies winning it now with Megan Taylor a few years ago. So I thought maybe that she could have gotten a nod there, too. But... Um, I think these are. I the was right surprised a goalie or a defender weren't on this list because we've had some. We have some great ones on really good teams. Yeah, I mean, I mean Emma Trenchard for what she's done in her career there. Um, I'll talk Taylor about Moreno. Taylor Taylor Moreno, another Carolina player that's been really great. Uh, Sam Thacker has an has had an unbelievable year at Stanford defensively or Denver defensively, excuse me. Um, and she's putting up ridiculous numbers there. I'll talk about that game in a few minutes here, but. Yeah, I mean, you put up numbers like that, I feel like you should get a little bit more um, kudos, if you will, especially on the men's side. If you're going to put two guys that aren't even in a tournament in there, I know it's a little bit different, but, I mean, you, you got to kind of look at things all considered, especially if the teams are in the tournament. Um, Agreed. But, but, yeah, I think that you will get the best player in the country at the time that they win the championship out of this list of women's finalists, too. I don't know if you get that in the men. So that that's also. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. That, that's the Brandout thing. Like, they, Yale could legitimately win the title. Yeah, yes, they could, and they might, and there might not be the towards on winner might not come from that team. Okay, right. let's uh, move on. Let's take a look at this men's bracket now, Travis. We're picking a couple games that we like for one reason or another. Why don't you give us a start here? All right, let, let's start about the game I'm most excited for, and uh, it gets the you get the feeling that ESPN and the uh, committee decided that this was the game people were going to be the most excited for because of when they put it, 7:30 uh, p.m. Saturday night, you have Virginia traveling to Providence to take on Brown. Of course, it's Lars Tiffany returning. Uh, Tom, I don't know if you've, you've seen some of the reports coming out of Virginia practice. Virginia welcomed a bunch of students to practice to heckle the team because they think it's going to be such a hostile atmosphere with the Brown <laughs> students there. It, it, there was one quote from uh, one of the newspaper writers uh, for practice saying, uh, having one of the students on the side uh, said to Lars, a better coach would have won a national title at Brown, which is hilarious. Mm. So I don't know if it's going to be quite that bad, but I think students, they're good. They're clever. They might come up with some good stuff. So, I, I mean, all of the storylines here. But in terms of the breakdown of this matchup, I like Virginia to move on. And here's why. You look at what Brown has done throughout the season they obviously have had a good stretch up until uh, losing to Penn in the semifinals of this Ivy League tournament but three times they've been held uh to less than 10 goals Penn in the Ivy League tournament they scored just nine against Princeton earlier in the year and that head-scratching loss where they only scored seven goals against uh UMass in, in the middle of that three-game losing streak and I look at the goalie play that they went up against in most of these games. Eric Peters had a big day again for Princeton. Patrick Birkinshaw, uh, I believe, made 19 saves for Penn in that semifinal win. Matt Note for UMass in a weird low-scoring game between UMass and Brown in that game, made 14 saves. So I look at the goalie situation here in Matthew Nunes for Virginia, and I think that if he can get hot, and he's had some games where he's made some double-digit saves, if he makes double-digit saves, I think there's no way Virginia loses this game. I just can't see them losing. If, he's a, if he has a decent day, makes double-digit saves, 
I think they move on because I think they've got too much firepower offensively. So if Virginia just gets a little bit defensively, I think that's enough to get them by Brown. Yeah, I think some people forgot about Virginia because of some of the, you know, they had three losses, what, this year, but not like they were ever, and they got blown out by Maryland. So I think that they dropped off the radar because of that, but I don't know if there was very good reason for that at the end of the day. So I think you look at things, and I also wonder about Brown. Did, now you talk about teams peaking, and out of conference, they weren't, like you said, they weren't all that impressive. You know, the, the loss to UMass and North Carolina in there as well. To me, you look at Brown and maybe you think about conference play and conference play for some teams can be more difficult than others. And for them, I think maybe going through the gauntlet, maybe they were just the wrong team at the wrong time for the Ivy League. And that's when Brown was able to kind of find their way through that league while playing as well. They were playing pretty well at the time, but still kind of caught some teams at certain times and they're making their way through conference play. You know, Ivy beat each other up a little bit. And I think Brown was a recipient of that and a positive one too. So I think you look at what they did in the tournament in the Ivy League, dropping out in the first round, and then they get back and they play a really talented team in Virginia. It might be a bit of a culture shock, I guess, if you will, of going now to play a Virginia team. It's a little different than the Ivy League teams, you know, just in a different way, a different conference and all of that. So I also agree with you. I, I love this matchup, number one, but I also think that Virginia could kind of catch Brown on their heels a little bit early in this one with some of the talent they have. And uh, two other things. You look at Penn in that semifinal win. Something Virginia sometimes does a little too much of because the way they play and Lars Tiffany wants to get up and move. Turnovers. That can sometimes be a concern. Penn turned it over 22 times and still mm. walked away with an easy win. So I think that's a positive for Virginia. They've gotten healthy. Like, this team hasn't really been tested in a month. Yeah. The last, like, really hard game they played, I guess you can look at Duke back on April 14th. Because then they went to Syracuse, took care of the Orange, and that was down the stretch when Syracuse was trying to figure out what on earth was going on. And then uh, they finished off the season uh, with a, a, with Lafayette. Nothing against Lafayette, but that's not the type of challenge that Virginia is used to, to playing here. And Quinnipiac was also mixed in there. So it's been a month since they've really been challenged. I think they're healthy. And we, see Matt, we saw Matt Moore get beat up throughout the year. The face-off effects, their guys have been beat up. So them healthy fully rested but like there's no excuses for Virginia they should be ready to go you know and I you've talked to Lars you know the last uh, this this season I talked to him in the fall before the fall classic when they took on team USA I asked him about the prepping for the tournament how they were able to peak and they have got it down as we know they've won it the last two times to a science and he said he walked down the hall one day and talked to Bronco Mendehall who was the Virginia head football coach at the time about bowl practices because for Virginia the layoff is similar he goes well what do you guys do to be able to prepare for this bowl game that's weeks away and Virginia's had to also deal with that the last few times being in the ACC no conference tournament so they are going to be as ready as anybody else we know that because they have done this before and recognize what it takes to win and you'd be able to handle that layoff. I know Brown didn't have that, but still Virginia is going to be ready to go. You can't really think about rust or anything like that. They, they're going to be ready to play. Um, All right, what do you got? All right, yeah, um, game that I love. I chose I love, not just what you said, looking forward to. I love this game, Travis. Ohio State and Cornell. They met. I like this game, too. They met back on March 5th, a 14-11 to 11 Cornell win. That was at the time of the year everybody's talking remember all oh, big 10 you know last year they played only conference games all oh, the big 10 now they're winning some of these out of conference look at how good they are 
And then all of a sudden, the Ivy League comes around. Their season starts in February, of course, as we know. And this was, I think, the tipping point in the season. Cornell hosting Ohio State. Ohio State all brought up coming in. Everybody's talking about them. And I looked at the game, and that was my week of the Tom's Top Things or whatever. And I go, you know what? It feels like a game that Cornell is going to win. And it, definitely, it was that. Cornell went on a seven-goal run in the second quarter of that game. And now we get to go play it again. Totally different time of the year. So I think it's going to be really cool to see them match up. Again at Shellcop Field in the NCAA tournament, you get the matchup on defense again. Gavin Adler, Jack Myers. I don't think Jack Myers is going to be held down like he was the first time. And Ohio State, there's a lot of people who think they shouldn't be in the tournament, and they know that, and I think they're going to come to play at Cornell. I agree. I, this was my – I did a what the most likely upset we're going to see this weekend, and this is it in terms of an unseeded team beating a seeded team because you're right like all the things that go went into that first meeting it feels like Ohio State can use the second time around like this was a relatively even game it was 14-11 but you look back at it it was one bad quarter for Ohio State they were outscored 7-1 in the second quarter of that game back in March otherwise it was even like you you wipe that quarter out or even make it a 4-3 a 4-2 type situation Ohio State is in this game down the stretch Jack I just for Jack Myers to only get one point again against Cornell would be really surprising to me. He's got six straight games with four more points uh, since he only had two points in the regular season loss to Rutgers. So I, if he gets anything more than he did the first time around and they avoid the quarter that they did in the second quarter against Cornell, where they turned the ball over four times, they lost the faceoff uh, battle by one in that quarter. And those extra possessions were enough to give Cornell an 18 to six advantage in shots. Yeah. You don't have a quarter like that. It's a very different ball game the first time around. So I think that's what we're getting at here the second time. And we had, like you said, there's some aberrations in this game. Ohio State went 12 for 19 on the clear. Like that is yeah, horrible. That's not, they were not uh, normal. They were in the top quarter, like 25th or 26th in the country in the clear over the course of the regular season. That, like you said, that doesn't happen. And even you look at the second time around that Ohio State played Rutgers, and you look at what their coaches' adjustments they made. They got blown out by Rutgers in the regular season. Big Ten semifinals, it was 12-10. So I think the way that Ohio State was able to adjust in that game, I think they're going to be able to do that against Cornell this time around. This is a fascinating game. Uh, these Ivy League teams are going to be under a lot of scrutiny here. I mean, every other game with the top two seeds are featuring Ivy League teams. There's a lot of pressure on these kids, and um, I don't know if it's for good reason or not. They put it on themselves by playing so well. Now they have to perform when it counts the most. This game is going to be really interesting, and Ohio State with their own motivations themselves, people thinking that they shouldn't even be in the tournament. Yeah, agreed. 2.30 Sunday for that one. Uh, I've got that one marked out to watch all the games I think that are pretty good uh, so you took uh one of mine with uh with the uh Cornell Ohio that Cornell Ohio State matchup how about most a like, game you should keep your eye on in case of an upset and I don't think I mentioned this before I don't think Delaware is going to beat Georgetown but I really think this is going to be closer than a lot of people expect uh Blue Hens put up 20 on Robert Morris last time out had 10 different goal scorers here on Wednesday in this playing game in order to get to this matchup against Georgetown. 
Uh, Ty Kurtz, Mike Robinson, J.P. Ward, 11 goals, 6 assists on Wednesday. They've got a lot of different options. They're midfielders here in the last couple of games. If you look back to the semifinals of the CAA tournament and the, the championship game, the midfielders have come on. They're getting more, which is what you're going to need against Georgetown because Georgetown's going to try to take away Kurtz, and they're going to try to take – well, actually, they're probably going to try to take away Robinson and Ward with uh, Gibson with uh, Gibson Smith and um, uh, with uh, Will Bowen in terms of polls. So you got Kurtz maybe floating around, and then it's the midfielders. They're going to have to show up. I will be interested to see what Delaware has learned from those games against Michigan and Duke earlier in the year where it was them against big boys, them against ACC, Big Ten type size and talent. What did you learn there that pays off now here uh, uh, during the NCAA tournament? Also, fun fact, Delaware scrimmaged both Georgetown and Maryland back in January. So they have seen this Georgetown team. That was early before everything happened, happened for this year. But they saw this Georgetown team before. That has to give them a little bit of confidence of, all right, well, we've seen them. We've played against them before. And now we can go challenge them, even though they're the two seed and everything we've seen them do all year. Yeah, well, Georgetown's seen Delaware too then. <laughs> There's the other end of the spectrum. I, You're I, right, yeah. I mean, I mean, Georgetown was so, so great this year for so many different reasons, it feels like, too. I mean, they've filled any void they had offensively. They just have it on every phase of the field, and it's hard for me. And even Delaware scoring those 20 goals, I, I know you're not going to stop scoring for whatever reason, but I'm sure Georgetown saw that. But like, you know what? They're not getting double digits on us. Our defense is going to show up and shut this offense down that everybody just saw on opening night of the NCAA tournament. There's something attached to that in the locker room, too. I, I just think Georgetown's out to make a statement that they are here and they are a title contender. And th th this is like we've seen them before do. Like we need to see them do this. That's what we've known all year. This feels like the group that feels like they are the ones that have to do it. And this is their first opportunity to show the rest of the field, okay, now it's time to play. So I, I do think that Georgetown will be the dominant team in this matchup. Nothing against Delaware. It's just the, the matter of fact, I think, at this point of the year. And there's been a couple teams that have been separated just... all year long. To me, it's been Georgetown alongside Maryland I just just remember last year with Drexel against Notre Dame I just I do feel like that Delaware with Owen Grant on the back end physicality wise I think he can match up against some of the best attackmen in the country I think that's a plus and I do think they've got enough scoring options that they can score a little bit against Georgetown that's the key whether it's against uh, Maryland or Georgetown like can you just score against really good defenses I think that they can score enough to make it interesting. I, 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 once again, I don't think they win. I do think it's more of a, it's a closer to the end game than people think. Okay. People are going to be surprised on, uh, and it's, and by the way, it's the last game Sunday night. Georgetown's got to wait around all day. I, I do. Th I just, I think people might be surprised that yep. in the second half, we've got ourselves a game and people are going to be on upset. Delaware has to wait around all day too. <laughs> Like, yeah, but it's different when you're the two seed. They just played on Wednesday. That's a good thing for them. Yeah, they, no, that's Georgetown's got to wait, watch all the other seeded teams, everybody else take care of business, and then in their final game. How often do we see Syracuse against some of those teams where they're always that Saturday, that Sunday night game because of graduation, get off to a slow start, and then in the second half they take care of business work. I mean, we saw them get upset by Bryant, uh, the Army in in the in that game. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, I'm just okay. Tell people, be, be aware. All right, we're aware, Travis. Thank you. We, we're on alert. Don't worry. You're welcome. We'll see. What else do you have? Um, game that I wonder about, 
and that's Harvard and Rutgers. I don't really know what to expect here from these two. Harvard is so young. They finished the regular season, a win over Princeton 19-16. Then they lose by just one to Yale, 17-16. They don't make the Ivy League tournament. They have 11 first-year players that regularly play for Harvard. 91 of their 162 goals are by first-year players. Sam King has 43 points. That leads them in points. They have three wins over tournament qualifiers. That's more than any other at-large team. So, yes, there were questions about them going in, but they have more wins than anybody else that was an at-large team over tournament teams. Rucker has two wins over tournament teams, and it was the same team in Ohio State. So, yes, I, I do have questions about the competition that Rutgers played compared to the competition Harvard played all year long. Yes, I know that last year, I think this is what intrigues me about Rutgers, we saw what they did in the tournament last year. They're an overtime away from going to championship weekend. We know how close they are. Is this also a group that can do that? Can they do that against a Harvard team that seems battle-tested through the Ivy League? I just don't know what I'm going to expect from either of these sides heading into that matchup. I wonder well, about it's it. such a yeah, and it's such a different team for Rutgers, too. Yeah, I mean, right. like, offensively, they brought some guys back, but that team last year had so many transfers, and then they brought in a couple of transfers again this year. So, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Like, I was trying to pick this game and figure out who I thought was, was going to win, and I was pretty much up in the air. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, one thing to look at are turnovers in this game. Rutgers best in the Big Ten in turnover, so they were best in not turning the ball over. Harvard fourth in the nation and caused turnovers per game. Greg Campisi has been so good for them all year long. So I think that that's something to watch. Can Harvard turn them over, or will it stay the ball in the stick of Rutgers long enough where they can get all those different options offensively, which we've seen. they can When they get going, they start going against a Harvard defense that sometimes that some people have been able to score on this year. So I, yeah, I really face-offs. Yes, and yes, face-offs, yeah, face-offs are important, I guess. Well, Harvard struggled there at times this year. When they struggled, they, at the X, they have not been good. Right, yeah, I know. Yeah, just don't, yeah, they've been able to turn okay. teams over after losing the face-off. That's how they've been able to be successful in that. Um, all right, so Penn, obviously a team that I think can win it all. How about you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, especially after what we saw this past weekend. Yeah, they looked at times like, Un, like the best team in the country and uh, earlier this week a reason for that is obviously the guys on offense like Sam Hanley a towards on finalist but defensively they get the job ton too I caught up with their LSM BJ Farrar earlier this week so BJ Farrar joins us now BJ appreciate you coming on congratulations on the Ivy League title of course you were on the team that won it in 2019 what biggest differences between the two times I guess what, what was the feeling like this time around Oh, uh, it was, it's, it's just always a great experience. You know what I mean? That whole weekend, the long weekend, staying in the hotel and everything. I would say the biggest difference is uh, our defense. We've been playing like a little bit more connected. You know, we were a lot younger back then, but that would, I would say is the biggest difference in the two teams back then. Does that feel like forever ago? <laughs> 2019? Was that it's just, it's, it feels like ages ago, you know, so much time and everything has gone through since then with COVID and everything, you know, we weren't even doing anything this time last year. So it's just, it feels like an attorney ago, but it's good to be back and playing with the guys. I really love the group. You know, you look at the Ivy League this year, you know, people have been talking about it since the season started, since you guys began, I guess, since you guys started things up in February. What was it like playing in that league? 
it was tough, man. Every every team you play is a good team from top to bottom. You know, each team is testing you no matter who you go against. And it was it was what was really cool about it was like, you know, week in and week out, you know, you have to focus on that opponent because if you look ahead or you look back, you'll get really distracted at the task at hand. So, like, it was nice to hone in on one team and, you know, get really acquainted with what they do throughout the week. Right, because you couldn't – you had to do that, right, at, at this point. Like, this, that was it. This was it. You, you know, you, if you looked ahead, someone was going to beat, beat you, right? Exactly, and you kind of get out of character when you look ahead and get away from just focusing on the task at hand yourself during the week and then your teammate for Saturday. Was there a moment – I guess I'll go back to the beginning of the year with you guys. You, you start off with Georgetown, right? That was kind of a gritty, low-scoring, not the prettiest battle – but that was the first time you guys have been back in two years. You know, when you started there, how much different is the team from then compared to now? I think we've grown tremendously all over the field. I think seniors have stepped up. Younger guys have stepped up. You know, we stepped up in our what we call our five phases of the game. And I think we're like starting to have more confidence and play with that swagger that we've been wanting all year. So it's nice for everyone to get that confidence and want to move forward and really push. But do you do you feel like there was rust? Because I think that's a lot of what people thought at the beginning. Of, like, but you guys came out, and I don't know if it was a tape thing or just the fact that you guys were so ready to go at the beginning of the year, and obviously played so well in the non-conference portion for the league as a whole. Um, you know, what do you think it was at the beginning of the year where a lot of these teams were able to, including you guys, able to start off really well? I would say, sure, it was a little rust, getting everyone back out there playing against such a big opponent. You know, the nerves are the nerves. You know, everyone. We have young guys, you know, haven't played for two years. We got sophomores who were playing their first game. So, you know, yeah, there was a little rust. Guys were a little nervous. But, you know, we, we decided to go out there and play as hard as we can. We came up short, but it was a good game. I felt like we fought really hard. What have, what have were you up to the last couple of years? What were you doing? Well, after everything got canceled sophomore year, it kind of put a knife in our hearts a little bit. So we kind of hung around with that senior class and really tried to make them feel like, you know, you guys are going to be a part of everything we do here moving forward. And we really appreciate all that they did for the program. And then last year, you know, we are our coach Murphy was always pretty positive that we were going to get a chance to go out there and play. So we practiced a lot. We played a lot during the year. We you know, we in the spring, we were there six days a week, Monday through Saturdays going through it acting as if it was a game, scrimmages on Saturday, inter-squad. So we were pretty committed to our process and getting better throughout that time. You ever get sick of hitting each other and, and checking each other and all that? <laughs> of course, but, you know, you were, we were out there with those. It was for those seniors, you know. They, we wanted to give them a chance, you know, go out feeling good, feeling like they left their mark on our program. So that was really big for us. Let's go to this weekend. You had seven ground balls and five caused turnovers against Brown. I mean, have you had a game like that before? Uh, I don't even remember. I played. I remember one of my better games in high school was against BL, and I, I guess I had a bunch of passes knocked down then. But it was more so just the confidence from my team and everything. Like it was, we played really together that game, and you know we were talking to put myself in opportunistic positions. So I was really excited about that. That knack of knocking down passes and doing all of that is that something that you've always had a knack for, or is that something you've had to develop over your time at um, at Penn? It's been very hit or miss because the day before practice, we were trying to knock down passes. And I would say as a total, we knocked down about zero and got skipped the entire day. So it was just, I guess I got a little lucky that day. But, you know, I'm glad it worked out in our favor. For you, I mean, you've scored, I think, two goals this year. Is that or a couple more than that? How yeah, many? two goals. Do you go score two goals? Is it better to knock down a pass, cause a turnover with a check or go down there and score? Uh, I'd say I'd rather go down there and give an assist or get a good double or something like that. I think that, you know, getting everyone involved gets the juice going for the entire team. And that those are really high, high octane plays for us. You were a, you were, you were a football guy in high school, right? 
Mm-hmm. Were you offense, defense? What was the, the vibe there? I played a little slot in high school and I played corner on defense. It was, uh, I was a little guy on the field. That's for sure. <laughs> but <laughs> it was fun to play. I miss it some of these days. I mean, the footwork with the hips, but being a corner, that's definitely something that translates. I can imagine being an LSM. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we, we go through a lot of footwork drills, backpedaling and stuff. Uh, coach Arqueta takes us through a lot of that stuff in the pregame. Before we get to, um, your upcoming game this weekend, I just want to ask you personally, what, what is your obviously for you guys? It's been such an interesting collegiate, you know, career of the last four years academically too. Where are you at with that? Are you, you know, you ready to graduate? What's the what's the feel like? What you're going to do next after this? Well, I'm currently in a position where I am probably going to come back and play next spring. So we're going to see how that will work. Hopefully, stay here and everything works out. I just have to make sure I end in good academic standing. But I'm probably going to come back and play next spring and really ready to get after again with this group of guys. I love it. What's your what's your major? What are you studying? I'm a political science major. What's that? Uh, what's that? Do you think want to do for you later on? Um, actually, it's ironic. I'm not really doing much with that. I plan to work uh, private equity insurance with Locked in the summer, so that'll be a really cool experience for me. Yeah, I mean, whatever you got to do. I mean, you go to Penn. Look, the degree looks good no matter what, man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you look at this weekend. You got a good team in Richmond. You're playing. What's the what's the vibe for you guys going into that matchup? A, a team that's competed with some big clubs this year. We just don't want to overlook anything, know that this is a really good opponent coming in and we need to take them really serious and they're going to take us serious. So it's going to be a really good game. We're really excited, you know, Saturday down at Penn Park, you know, playoff game. It's going to be a great time. We're finally back, like playing in the postseason. Things have come full circle with us. Like we're playing on the field that we used to like do all of our inner squad things for COVID and everything. So everything's coming like full round for us and we're really excited to get after it. Yeah, we're excited to see you guys in this tournament once again. Something was missing last year, and certainly the Ivy League is back this yep. year, and so are you guys. Uh, BJ, appreciate the time, man. Good luck this weekend. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Thank you. I appreciate it. So a confident Penn team, BJ. Great talking to him and getting to catch up as they uh, seem like they've got everything going now right at the right time. Penn always plays such a tough schedule, Travis. It feels like they're battle-tested. They can win against anybody at any time. A lot of close games. Oh, yeah, for, for sure. I it, Penn's been weird. Like that St. Joe's game at the end of the year looked like they're a team that I'm not so sure about. And then they go in that run in the Ivy League tournament. They look like a team that could be in the final four, win a championship. So when they're good and they're on, they are really talented. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on to the women's bracket now. What will you want to start with here, Travis? What sticks out to you? All right, let's see here. I got to pull up my notes. Uh, I'm going to go. How about most interesting first round game? And what about USC and Virginia? I mean, mm. these, this game feels like USC is the team that obviously has the better record. Virginia just squeaking in. Just They had to beat Syracuse in the uh, quarterfinals of the ACC tournament just yeah. to make sure they were going to have a 500 record to qualify for the NCAAs. USC has, been the, has had the better record. But you look back at, at the early part of the season, and Virginia lost a bunch of games. Uh, early by not that many goals against really good teams. So talk about being battle-tested. Virginia is as battle-tested maybe as any women's team in the country. And I just, I circled the Virginia beating Stanford by 10 back in February. And I know it's been a while, but you compare the results, and I just feel like maybe Virginia's playing its best lacrosse at the right time. And they experience a team that has uh, already had a success against this USC program in Stanford. And I know they've been a different team than they were early on, but I just, that to me, it doesn't shake. I like Virginia, but I think it's a really entertaining game and really intriguing considering uh, 
while the records are very different, I feel like the talent level is very similar. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I, I think that I give the edge to USC in this one, actually. I think that Virginia, okay. yeah, they played a tough schedule. They just didn't win many games. You know, I feel like I have to see a team win more. They won when they were desperate to get in the tournament. That's, a, to me, a different level. They needed that well, more. Well, aren't than they any. desperate now? I don't, I don't know if it's the same. I think it might be a whole – it's a whole different feel once you hit the NCAA tournament. Yes, everybody's desperate. Everybody wants to win. But I think there's a different threshold for it when you actually recognize the fact, okay, you know, our gift is North Carolina. I think it's just a different mindset. And USC, for them, this would be a huge victory to move on and go and get that exposure by playing North Carolina. And we saw the Pac-12 all season long. They played tough schedules. They played tough games. And I think that but, USC but is ready I don't for know that. if USC has that many great wins. Yeah. I don't know either. I, I just, I, I, I yeah. Don't, they so don't, I, neither does Virginia. At the, like, I don't, I don't, I can't think of a USC great win. I can't think of a Virginia great win other than Syracuse. And, and then that's fine. In a, in they have, they, they've shown the ability to come up with that kind of win. Okay. That, they, that's they my have. point. That's why I like Virginia's slight edge, but I, I agree with you. I think it's a close game. Okay. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I, I think that's a very interesting game as well. I didn't want to debate you on whether or how it interests. Okay. I, I agree. I think it's very interesting. I got a fun rematch, and that's Boston College and Denver, Travis, because we were back a couple months ago. What was the day? March 9th. It was a cold day in Denver. One of those weird weeks in which it was like zero degrees on Tuesday or Wednesday and like 80 on Saturday. Nonetheless, yep. that was the three-quarter game in which Boston College beat Denver 9-5. to Yeah, BC had a big um, second quarter in that one, and then no one scored in the third, I think, was the story. Charlotte North had four goals and an assist. I just, I mean, I can't wait to see them play again because it felt like we were shortchanged for what could have been a really great fourth quarter if Denver had scored yeah. a couple goals. I mean, who knows what would happen in the first couple quarters. I mean, after the first quarter, they took forever to get back out there for the second just so everybody could w get warm again. It was such weird circumstances, and I want to see these two teams out there once again. So this, of course, would be a matchup if both these teams won in the first round. I need to preface it by right. or if, if, if Denver beats Vermont in their first round game. Boston College is already there. But so this would be a second round matchup um, over the course of the weekend. So first things first there. North had four goals and assists. I talked about Sam Thacker earlier for Denver. They have the number six defense in the nation, 8.42 goals against average. Thacker, 58 caused turnovers. That leads the NCAA. She also has 45 draw controls. So if the defense can get a few stops, you know, here and there throughout the game, you know what I mean? Just get things that you shouldn't normally get. Don't let BC go on those runs. They've got a chance here. You know, I'm not saying they're going to win. But they do, I think, have a chance when you've got a great defense and you get some goals in there for against the BC team that hasn't been as prolific on the defensive side this year. I think that that makes things really interesting and a lot of fun for a rematch that I feel like we were shortchanged of the first time around. I think the biggest question for Denver will be, can they score with Boston College? Because I, I do think that they can hold Boston College to fewer goals maybe yeah. than uh, almost anybody else in this tournament. Like, honestly, because of the style in which they play and the success of their defense. My question for Denver, I, I don't think they hold Boston College under 10. So can Denver get to 14, mm. 15 goals to win this? Because I, I still think even, even if you have your best defensive day, Boston College is going to get to 12, right? Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think that's a matter of how, how, how much can you slow that game down. Even when it was zero degrees, Boston College scored nine. 
Right. In three quarters. <laughs> in three quarters. And two quarters And at that. Yeah. It was two yeah. quarters that, that, that where that happened. So I do think that that makes it a challenge for Denver, but I, I think that's an attainable one if they're able to shock a few people in that second-round game. I think it's going to be interesting. And BC, they, they're the third-best team in the nation. I thought this is a really telling stat for them offensively. Third-best at keeping the ball. So they, they don't turn the ball over a lot. And I mentioned Sam Thacker. If she she's such a unique quantity and entity that maybe she can maybe get a couple of those and get the ball back a couple of times, but not that doesn't normally happen for BC. They don't turn the ball over. They keep the ball themselves, which I think is helps them big time moving forward in the tournament too. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, how about a, another game that could be a the second game, second round game here that I uh, I'm really interested in. That's Northwestern if they can take care of business against Central Michigan, against the winner of Notre Dame and Michigan, because Northwestern played both of these teams and didn't blow either of them out this year. Northwestern won 17-16 against Notre Dame back in February and 12-9 against Michigan on the road in March, where Madison Doucette in that game had to make 16 saves. So I, as good as Northwestern's been, for most of the year, like having to play one of these teams, and a lot of it has to do with regional, uh, like the regional situation in terms of scheduling, but having to play one of these teams in the second round just to get to the second weekend is not doing them any favors. These, that's going to be a really tough game. And you look back at the, the that Notre Dame-Northwestern game and North, Notre Dame in a very similar situation as Virginia in terms of what they had to do in the uh, ACC tournament in order just to get here. In that Notre Dame team went on two different four-goal runs against Northwestern to pull back in that game. So they're a team that is going to be plenty confident and has the offensive firepower to go up and, and up and down with this Northwestern team. The question will be, can they get enough stops against Northwestern to hang around? But uh, Michigan held Northwestern to one of their lowest goal-scoring totals of the season, minus the two games they played here at the end of the year against Maryland and Rutgers in the Big Ten tournament. So whether it's Notre Dame and Notre Dame's offense or Michigan in that defense, I think that is a really, really tough game here on the back end of the weekend to get to the second weekend for Northwestern. Yeah, I think a prep too, right? Like in what you're preparing for, you're preparing for two very different teams in that. And two, for teams, sure. and two teams that played good schedules this year. And we saw Notre Dame blitz Boston College. It was insane to see them. I think they were 12 for their first 12 or something like that. Yeah, they were a desperate team like Virginia, but – I mean, if they're shooting like that, you're going to get enough stops because, uh, you mean, uh, you, you, the other team's not going to shoot as well. So I do think at the end of the day, Northwestern's playing at home. So I'm not too I concerned do, I, and about I, this. And I think that, yeah, I, I think <laughs> Northwestern wins it. I just want – I keep my eye on it because I think it could be a one-two goal game. Yeah, I think it could be close the way Northwestern kind of stumbled down the stretch a bit as we saw them lose the Rutgers. But that was also another ex kind of extenuating circumstance, I want to say. But they still didn't win the game against in Piscataway. Um, all right, um, I will now move on. I'm going for a game for the future. So this is a game that I think, yeah, well, we're going to see it in the second round th this year, I believe. If you look yeah. at the way the bracket shakes out, Stanford plays Jacksonville in their first round game. Florida plays Mercer. I think Florida and Stanford both move on there. So you get Florida against Stanford. A second round game this time around, but maybe in 
two or three years, you're looking at this as a quarterfinal game or something that's a little yeah. bit farther along because they have so much young talent on the field. Stanford, as you know, that amazing number one recruiting class in the country, a lot of those players haven't even seen much of the field yet. Meanwhile, you have some of those redshirt freshmen or sophomores, whatever you want to call them. Ashley Humphrey leads the nation in points per game, 6.67. They've got a freshman, Annabelle Frist, the top 50 in the NCAA in points per game. Then you got tons of youth on Florida. Emma Lopinto, 88 points. Danielle Pavanelli, 87. That's both top 30 in the country. They've got Ashley Gonzalez, Liz Harrison on the draw. Sarah Resnick, still just a redshirt sophomore, 8.8 goals against average. I'm just so excited to see the youth in this game and how it's setting the tone for the future for two Big schools, as we know, football-style schools that are going to have really, really good women's lacrosse team that can help drive the sport in those conferences over the last over the next few years and the, at, the, at those programs for the next few seasons. Yeah, I also circled this game, and I actually think Stanford upsets Florida. Like, I think this is a really tough matchup. I like I like the Cardinal. Yeah, I think Stanford got better as the year went on. We kind of talked about that as the year went on. Like, when will these freshmen, and you hear coaches say that all the time, they're not freshmen anymore. You know, when will these underclassmen not act like that anymore? And I think you saw Stanford start to click as the year the season went on for sure. And you saw that in the, the game uh, late in the season against Arizona State and the, the tournament as well. Florida, they're still very young, and I, I just mentioned that too. But, you know, they played a pretty tough schedule. They had some tough teams on their schedule too. So, I I mean, they have the talent to win and maybe win a couple games in this tournament. I think that's what's going to make this game really intriguing. Yeah, I, the only thing that hesita I'm hesitating with with Florida is the reason they're seeded is one game. Like, the one game against Syracuse that they won is the reason that they're the seventh seed and they're not in the position that Stanford is. And so I, I one game like that, it was the middle of the week. Syracuse has to go all the way down to Florida to play in the middle of the week. I think it was Syracuse's spring break, too. I think that's why it was a midweek game in the evening. It's just different circumstances than both of these teams are used to. So because of that, I don't know how like a solid of a seven-seed Florida is. That's why, I give, that's why I'm feeling okay picking Stanford. Yeah, I think maybe they would have been the eighth seed. I mean, they should have been the eighth seed, right? I mean, Stony Brook should have been I the mean, seventh seed. Stony Brook should have been the seventh seed, even with the win over Syracuse for Florida. Right. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> no, but like, as the facts stand where they are right now, that should have been the case. Right. But that's not here. I think Florida still has the talent to back up that seed. You know what I'm saying? I feel like they still have the talent to be able to show everybody yeah, why they were seated that way. But they didn't you know, get that. They didn't do enough to earn that outright. But they can still show everybody that. They yeah, sure. Their, and Stanford, the like, right. let's not let's not forget Stanford battled got themselves battle tested during the beginning part of the season too. They just didn't play quite as many top teams as Florida. Did. Like I, I just I don't know. I I feel I really like this Stanford team. I think they're really talented. Yeah, I think they're gonna be. I think they're fun. That's why this is a fun game, and it's the game of the future, as I so eloquently stated here. So we got Maryland as a two seed. Um, I think they play North Carolina the championship. How about you? Um, y yes, maybe if they get to the final four, if they get to the final, if they get to the final I'm, four, that, that Duke, that Duke game, second weekend, it's a game we haven't talked about, but that Duke game that could possibly come up for them after Duke plays Hopkins, that Duke game is, uh, I think is maybe the biggest test. I like, like even tougher than Florida or Stanford. I think that's going to be Maryland's biggest test to getting to championship weekend. Yeah. 
Um, we're going to hear from Hannah Lubaker in a moment. I'm going to use that as a part of it because I talked to her. I'm going to use that in my ammo. They remember that game last year, Travis. They played Duke and lost to Duke and lost that final four streak last year. That is something that's motivated them all season long. So if this was a different circumstance and they hadn't lost to Duke a year ago, you know what I mean? If this was the first time yeah. this was happening, I'd say, okay, I think you got a point there. The way we saw that Duke offense flow you know, in big games all year long – I would say yes, but this time I think there's too much right. I think there's too much there's too much behind it. You know, Maryland already did this once. They're not going to do it again. They're Maryland after all. I do see them getting by. If you know Johns Hopkins, you know they could also give Duke a game. You never know. Janine Tucker, they could. You're, you're right. Know, a lot, lot behind that. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, and that's they've got a whole other thing to play for on top of uh, just a chance to move on. They want to keep their coaches career a lot so yeah I, I agree with you I just I don't know I, I've got a hunch you could say the same thing for Princeton and Chris Saylor up there in the Syracuse area of the bracket in that second You're right. round let's, game let's get to the interview though that's what people want to hear <laughs> all right Hannah Lubaker I spoke to her this week so Hannah Lubaker joins us now Hannah we appreciate the time congratulations on an outstanding another outstanding season for yourself and, and of course for the team as well I mean what was it like once again to win that Big Ten title here yeah, well, first of all, thank you so much. But I mean, that's something that, you know, I've always looked forward to growing up, um, you know, through the whole recruiting process. It was definitely something I kept in mind. Um, and Kathy reminded us, you know, this is why we came to Maryland to play great lacrosse, to um, get a chance to compete for these titles. And so it was really a privilege to win it this year. Yeah, I mean, when you were being recruited, obviously, it was a unique experience for you and for the coaches as well as being a homeschooled athlete yes. at that. Um, I'm sure that was really cool. I guess you wanted to challenge yourself, though, with Maryland. I'd imagine, like, that was the goal here. Yes. Well, I wanted to play lacrosse at the highest level I could. And, you know, Maryland was the place that I was able to do that. And so it was definitely a unique experience for me. It was kind of funny through the whole recruiting process. Nobody had ever recruited a homeschool player before. Um, so I got a lot of questions about that. Just make sure I was eligible and everything. But um, my mom was great. I don't know how she did it. She has so much patience, but um, she's wonderful. And the coaches were, were great through that whole process as well. Yeah, I guess, what do you think you, you learn? Like, obviously, it's a different kind of a thing, being homeschooled compared to some of your teammates as well. What do you think that those differences, how do those help you, you know, in terms of the transition you've been able to make into college to here? Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, first, I think the biggest thing was time management. You know, as a homeschooler, if you didn't get your work done, then you just didn't get it done. And then you kept pushing it off. And so I learned to really be disciplined with my time. Um, and I was able to schedule, um, you know, trainings during the day and stuff that, when people my age were in school, you know, I would go to my trainer and have more time there. And then I would just be doing school later at night. So, you know, managing your time, setting up your schedule, everything like that. It's kind of funny. I joked with my roommates when we all went online because of COVID. I was like, you're all homeschooled now. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. You had already been used to this. Like, mm -hmm. it's, I'm good, man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's great. And obviously, you have uh, three other siblings, right? Is that true? I do. Yes. I have an older brother, older sister, and then a younger brother. Okay, so you're two girls, two boys. What's, right. What was it like growing up in that dynamic, you know, athletically and also socially, too? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm so close with my family. Um, they mean the world to me, and they're very much part of who I am today. Uh, I wouldn't be here without them. And um, it was definitely an interesting dynamic growing up. We're all so competitive. I mean, my cousins as well as, you know, my siblings. But we were constantly playing things in the backyard, making up games, you know, anything we could turn into a competition would. And so, um and then my dad would always go out. He loves sports. He's a big hockey guy. So he would always train with me whenever I wanted to train. Um, 
he would, he's always be asking me, what do you want to work on today? You know, what do you want to get better at? And so he, he's the best. <laughs> what changed for you? I know you played soccer growing up quite a bit, right? I guess what, when was the time that it clicked? You're like, oh, I love lacrosse. When did you mm -hmm. just be like, oh, soccer is great, but lacrosse is it for me. Right. Yeah. Well, for the longest time, I didn't know which one I liked better. Uh, I just enjoyed playing both. I definitely think that's huge for um, development of players. And, you know, so you don't get burned out to play different sports um, to develop different muscles and stuff like that. But it was around the time I started getting recruited for um, lacrosse. So freshman year of high school and you know, we started talking about it like eighth grade year for the most part. I was getting ready to go to pr soccer practice and I was like, oh, man, I, I want to take my lacrosse stick. Like, I want to I be playing lacrosse. And then as I started getting recruited, I started getting looks. Um, I realized that it was something that I wanted to do in college. When it comes to obviously you said, Marilyn, you want to challenge yourself at the highest level possible. And of course, this program is unbelievably historically great over the years. Players that you've idolized or even that you've heard from that you've gotten to know, you know, since you've, you know, accepted and all that, like, who are the, some of those people that um, have stuck out to you? Yeah, I mean, it's so cool. And the Maryland alumni base is so strong. They're so supportive. Um, players like Taylor Cummings, Caroline Steele, you know, you grow up hearing about them all the time. Jen Giles, all these different players. Zoe Stukenberg, um, they come to our alumni games. They're at our fundraisers. Taylor Cummings was at practice today. You know, like we just see them all the time. They're reaching out. They're so supportive and encouraging. And it just, it means the world to us. So knowing that, how much did not making the final four last year fuel your guy, fuel your, your team this year? How much was oh, that a motivator? Goodness. So much. I mean, I, in my individual locker, I hung my bag tag from Duke last year. I was like, this is not, <laughs> I'm not doing this again. Um, but yeah, the, the alumni base is so supportive. Our coaches are so supportive and, um, it's just been huge. I mean, you see them on the sideline players, so many Toroton winners. Um, you know, it's just, it's amazing. And they're all very encouraging and helpful. Yeah. Any pressure attached to that, you know, knowing that like you have that motivation to attach to that too. Yeah, I mean, I think a little bit, but, you know, sometimes that pressure is good. It, it makes you motivated. It makes you work hard. Um, I don't think anything like, you know, you can't let it get to your head. You can't read a bunch of things that people are putting out there. You just have to play your game. But um, I think knowing that Maryland as a program has the history that it does definitely is really um, you know, encouraging to keep. It makes you want to work hard. It makes you want to continue that legacy. And how much of that is Kathy Reese, too, who obviously has established herself as the, one of the best ever, um, you know, in terms of her personality, you know, as a coach and a leader of this program, how much of her influence is on everybody else? Oh, my goodness. She is the heart and soul of our program. She is the reason that it has had the success that it has, um, the atmosphere that she creates, the family dynamic. It is um, so, so special. And I'm so thankful that I was, you know, she recruited me and I was able to come here. And I think a huge testament to that is, and to her is, um, you know, the players who, who maybe don't see a lot of playing time, they still love to be here. They love her. You know, she invests in each player. She encourages each player. She, you know, makes everybody feel like their role is important, whether they're, you know, playing the whole game or whether they're on the sideline. And um, she just really treats us all as equals. And that's, it's a huge part of why our program has been successful. Yeah, you've definitely got an interesting group, of course, this year. You've got some of those transfers. Obviously, they've been so impactful for you guys. But then you've got a player like Grace Griffin out there who's been around probably, for, you probably feel like forever. And then oh. some of you that have been around for a couple of years and ready to taste really the greatness that is the program. What's it been like to get, put, to get this group together, I guess? How have you guys been able to come together as the season's yeah. gone on? I mean, I think 
it's it's cool having people from so many different backgrounds like you said the transfers have been so impactful we loved having them from day one you know they just fit right in um my class who you know is hungry we haven't necessarily won you know as many things as like players in our in our positions in the past you know having lost our freshman year was um something that nobody saw coming um but it definitely just fuels our fire even more you know we came here because we wanted to win those titles we play for kathy reese to be a part of this awesome program and um so it definitely is is really cool because this year everybody was hungry everybody could feel it you know the energy at practice from even in the fall, we could all tell that, you know, everybody was willing to work for it. It was just a different feeling at practice than it had been even in the past couple of years that, you know, that I've been here. And so um, it was just really exciting. We were, we were all really wanted it and we could just feel it at practice. You know, I go back to that JMU game and I'm sure you, maybe you guys think of that too, maybe as a, another thing to motivate you. And of course, JMU, they're an NCAA tournament team, a great program at that as well, but I'm sure losing to them on your whole, on your home turf, Gave you a sort of a different vibe after that. What kind of message did that send for your team? I mean, I think it just reminded us that nothing's going to come easy. You know, everybody out there is so good. If you don't play um, the way that you want to, if you don't execute, execute your game plan, you know, like anybody can beat anybody on a given day. And I think this whole season, honestly, you've seen that with, you know, a couple of the upsets that in different games, um, different conferences, anybody. Um, but f specifically for us, it reminded us that, you know, everybody's coming for us. We have a target on our back. You know, we have to be able to execute, to play hard, to play with excellence. It's not going to be perfect, but to not, um, you know, cave under that pressure, but to really step up and that we have to earn it each and every game. How do you plan ahead for this weekend, knowing you don't know who the opponent's going to be yet? Could have a conference foe in Johns Hopkins, or you could have Duke, who, like you said, have some bad memories with. How do you look ahead to that this weekend? Either way, it's going to be a very exciting game. You know, we've played Hopkins a couple times. We would love to play Duke, but regardless, um, we're going to focus on us. We're going to focus on executing our game plan. I think, honestly, it won't matter who we play if we do that. Um, and, and we focus on um, doing the little things well, then we'll be okay. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Hannah, we appreciate your time. Um, obviously, looking forward to seeing you guys in action in the tournament once again and looking forward to see how your career continues here. You got another year at least of eligibility, right, at this point? Another two of eligibility, but we'll see. Yeah. All right. All right. We will see it. That's what we say with everybody these days, right? You never know. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much for the time. Good luck this weekend. Thank you. I appreciate it. So, yes, Hannah is indeed a ray of sunshine, and I enjoy talking to her. She brightened my day. I hope she brightened yours too, Travis. Yeah. She, what, a, what a lovely individual. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us on Lacrosse Now. I'm really brightening everybody's day. She's awesome. I'm sure she brightens the, the, that team. You, you know that. She talked about the culture so much, and that's kind of what it's all about at Maryland. Such a such a, uh, a great connection there from the alumni to the current players, and obviously they've won so many times that I'm sure that everybody is all in at all times too. So that's really cool. All right, before we go, we're going to reveal our final four here for both the men and the women. Travis, you go first. Give us it all. All right, for the men, I've got Maryland, Yale in one semifinal, and Penn and Georgetown in the other. I got a lot of chalk. All right, yeah, that, that seems about right. I think, you know, Maryland to me is kind of a foregone conclusion, and you go from there. Um, yeah, um, now give us your, uh, you want to do my men now, Travis? That makes sense? Yeah. Yeah, uh, we, go we, for we, it. We, we did the ISO on the video broadcast, so now we're back in the two shots, so now I don't know what to do. I'll do the men's ones. All right, we'll do, this was obviously not planned until now. I'll go with Maryland on the top part of that bracket. I want to go 
with Princeton, but it's telling me Yale. I think Princeton might have peaked too early. You know, they were the three, third team in the country for a long, long time. At the end of the season, you know, they, they were knocked off a couple times. I will go Yale. So I've got Maryland against Yale. And then on the bottom part, I might have to match you there, Trav. I think I go with Penn. And at the end of the day, Georgetown. I really like Georgetown. So I think that that's, I'm, we're going to match there. Look at, look at us. We, we agree. Yeah, honestly, the, uh, the biggest head scratcher in the top two, I think, is Maryland if they have to play Virginia. There's no question that Maryland is going to the Final Four. Zero. I don't know, man. I feel better about Georgetown beating Ohio State or Cornell than I do about Maryland beating Virginia. I have zero question. You don't even know if Georgetown is going to beat Delaware. You said we had to keep our eye on that game. So <laughs> I, I didn't say they were going to win. <laughs> I have zero question in my mind that Maryland will make the Final Four this year. All right. Anyway, take that to the bank. Yes. Tom's lock of the uh, lock of the century of the year of the week, whatever. Uh, who do you got in the women? All right, women. I will go North Carolina, followed by Northwestern, and then I will have Loyola taking on Maryland. So I really, I think that Loyola has been under the radar all season long, and their offense, and they are one of those teams that's built in three different phases, if you will, in the game. They can do it offensively, defensively, goalie. Everything has come together for Loyola. Everybody came back this year. The women did what the men, we thought the men would do. The women played up to their potential, up to their experience all season long. I do think that they're going to make it there. And I just don't, Boston College, incredible run, of course, last season, making it to the championship. It felt like everybody on BC got hot at the right time. I know that you can't count out Charlotte North. I'm not going to do that. I just don't I don't know if they, everything can come together again like it did last year. I think for Loyola, this will be a year in which Jen Adams and company gets the final four. Why do you hate Boston College so much? I don't hate Boston College. You hate Boston I, I College do not. so much. <laughs> I don't you hate, hate them. them. I do not hate them. I think that they had a great year last year. It was so cool to wow. see them get over the top. I think Loyola's having a better year, and I think that they've been the more consistent team all season long. And well, yeah, because they didn't play the ACC. Well, I'm not say, I understand they didn't play the competition that BC did. I just look at each team and how they played and what they have, and I think Loyola can play with some of the best in the country, and I think they're going to be able to do okay. that. And I think Boston College has more of a chance at tripping up on their way to the Final Four compared to Loyola looking at the bracket at the same time, too. Well, unlike Tom, I do like Boston College. Okay. And I do have them in my final four because I really like Charlotte North and this team. I got uh, Carolina, Cuse knocking off Northwestern, Boston College, and Maryland. Okay. We said we weren't going to debate these, but now we're settling into a debate, so I will not. <laughs> well, you, you, because you hate Boston College. We're going to have to talk about this more next week. Uh, yeah, if, if, they are, if they're still in the tournament at that time, you never know. <laughs> it's going to be a wild weekend. You don't know what's going to happen. None of these teams can be in, other than Maryland. Maryland Maryland's going to be in, men and women. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> so making all sorts of off the cuff guarantees here. Everything's going to, we're going to have our producer put out. We're going to clip these all off. Massive hot media. take going yeah. off here. That's a, <laughs> um, anyway, we're just having fun. That's what this time of year is all about. You look at the bracket, you make a pick. If you're wrong, that's fine. If not, if you're right, that's great. And I hope you guys are filling yours out too. If you have any good picks, share them with us. I want to hear your takes on this too. So do that, you know. Comment below, as they say. All right. 
I think that's it, Traff. I think we're done for now. We will react to everything next week, and uh, we can't wait to do so. Enjoy the games once again. For Travis Eldridge, I am Tom Ashton. This has been Lacrosse Now. See you next time.